But before we get to that value, I want to extend a happy Mother's Day to everyone here in this room. Uh, Also over there in the modern worship service in the Fellowship Hall, happy Mother's Day to all of you that are there. And I I do want to pray for our ladies today, moms, grandmas, and in some cases, I met a couple of them this morning, great-grandmothers who are here. Um, This is a day in which we celebrate and we honor you. And may the Lord give you great joy today and being with your families, the gift of family. And, and so we, we are encouraged and excited not only about how God is raising up families, but we're grateful for you as well. And I also know this, that, that Mother's Day for many people, for many ladies, um, it can be a tough day. It can be a hard day because uh, you perhaps have a great desire to have children and um, it, the Lord hasn't brought that desire to fruition just yet, or maybe you've lost your mom. Uh, I know there are families affected just in recent weeks and in recent months they've lost their mom, or, or maybe you've lost a son or you've lost a daughter. And this day is extremely difficult for you, or maybe you're disconnected from your son or from your daughter, and so all of the, the wonderful things of Mother's Day just kind of seem to keep even more stress and more pressure on your burden and on your heart. So we want you to know the truth and the promise of Jesus that he made an awfully long time ago is very true for you today. And that is when Jesus says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always to the end of the world. So if you're struggling today, know the very presence of Jesus goes with you. And I want to pray for you right now and just pray a prayer of commitment for our ladies. But pray a prayer of commitment wherever you are uh, in your journey, in motherhood, in womanhood. May the Lord go with you. Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, in both rooms right now, we commit these ladies to you. Lord, we um, celebrate motherhood What an incredible privilege it is to make disciples, first and foremost, from these little ones. And so, Lord, we pray for moms as they do that. We we pray for moms of all ages, no matter where they are, we pray that they are honored today, that there is great joy and celebration and laughter. And, Lord, we pray that this would be a special time in the lives of moms, but we also know, Father, that there are ladies who are here, who, who struggle with this day, and some stay away from church altogether because of this moment. But Father, you have ordained, you have brought ladies here from all walks and all journeys, and I just ask that you would minister in a special way to every lady who needs your special touch this morning. Maybe it's a touch of mercy, maybe it's a touch of forgiveness. Maybe it's just an extra measure of grace as they struggle through. Lord, we pray that you would just work mightily through your spirit and through the body of Christ, that we would love and that we would, that we would honor and cherish not only moms, but all those who are struggling as well. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for the ladies that are such a vital part of this body. Thank you for the guests who have come this morning, and maybe they've come in just to hear us pray for them. And, Lord, we offer all of these folks to you. And we pray that you would work mightily, strongly. And, Lord, we pray this prayer humbly in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
Amen and amen. That story of the bridge as I was standing really underneath the Liberty Bridge and almost got run over by a golf cart. Did you see that? Had to kind of get out of the way there. Uh, It's a great story. My my father-in-law, several years ago, used to uh, own a furniture store. He bought it from from a man named Haley. It was Haley's Furniture Store that stood right there uh, by the Army-Navy surplus store. You ever been there? Army-Navy store is right there. There's this empty warehouse-looking building on that. My father-in-law used to own that long, long time ago. I'm still upset with my father-in-law because we could have cashed in, but we just didn't quite hit it, right? But he he tells stories of the transformation of Greenville. And he's been there a long time, but he tells the stories of of how when customers would come in and he would deliver. That was back in the day when uh, you would go and deliver furniture to homes. Anyone ever have that happen? This is when they would come in and deliver furniture. But he tells the story of, of what Greenville used to be. And how it is now and how it's so different. And that bridge, that, that bridge that runs across it is so beautiful. There will only be 8 billion people out there this afternoon probably. But that beautiful bridge that runs across there, uh, in 1960 there was an old bridge that was there. And there was a lot of trouble in trying to take that old bridge down to put the new bridge up. And I was reading in a book this week that one of, one of our staff members passed along to me, a real interesting book, co-authored by Knox White about reimagining Greenville. That's the title. The best downtown in America. We're not prideful about our downtown. Are we? And, he, and he says this, that at the time when they were looking at that old bridge, here is what they had to evaluate. And here is the conclusion they came to, that it was, it was functioning okay. But here is what they came to understood, that the potential for economic growth would be capped and bottled as long as they kept the old structure up. That the view of the falls and the vision of what could be would never come into reality if they left things as they were. And then it divided the city. It it just wasn't, it wasn't something that brought the city together. And so they made that decision to walk through an evaluation cast vision, and see a transformation of downtown. Now, when we come to this value of innovative faith, this is value number five, and and we've been in a series. I know many of you are guests. We we welcome all of you who who perhaps have come for the baby dedication or for any, any other reason, Mother's Day, whatever it might be. We've been walking through a series where we've given our mission. Here, here's our mission statement, to make disciples. This is what Jesus has asked us to do. It's his vision, not ours. Make disciples as we encounter God, equip believers and engage the world as we worship together expectantly, as we equip one another and as everybody serves and we make disciples, people, invest in people for the purposes of reaching a lost world, engaging the world. That's why we exist. And here's where this value undergirds this mission. This value simply says this, led by the Holy Spirit, We will do whatever it takes under his leadership to create environments, to create methods, to create groups, to create communities 
that take the never-changing gospel of Jesus to as many people as possible. And this is a wonderful value that this church has exemplified throughout the years. You're, you're sitting in a, a worship center that's, that's uh, 20 years old, so it's not as old as our church, which is 150 years old. Do you imagine if we would have stayed where we were back in the Civil War? Of course not. Those of you over in the modern worship service, that service has only been around for six years now. The service in that form has only been around for three years. Why? Because the leadership of the church said, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, how can we take the message of the gospel and worshiping together and in a new way, not to disparage the old way, but in a new way, create environments for people to encounter God, create environments for people to be made disciples of it, create environments or methods and communities where people will be sent out for the sake of engaging the world. This is what we're talking about this morning. Now there's a pattern, I won't go through it all, but there's a pattern of this in scripture all the way from Abraham to Moses. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see this pattern of people who God puts in a particular place or in a platform and he simply looks at them and says, I know you can't exactly see everything in front of you, but I'm asking you to step out in faith. That's all Hebrews chapter 11. Look at the names in there. Follow the stories in there. And here's the one theme you will find. There is great faith to do something specific and particular that they really couldn't see initially. And this is what this value is all about. This value can be good for your home. can be good for you individually. Because what this value is, is a call to change. A call to innovate, a call to fix something that might be broken, a call to say things cannot stay as they are, and maybe God is asking me to take a step of faith. So I want to illustrate this quickly this morning. In the life of one young lady found in the Old Testament scriptures, is found in uh, the book of Esther. So I, I, want to I want you to turn to Esther, I want you to turn on Esther in your on your digital device. Esther is in the Old Testament if you're new to Bible study, all right? And Esther is this incredible story. I'm gonna lay the groundwork so we can look at the central paragraph in the book of Esther, draw some points out of that, and then, and then we head out this morning. Let me set the stage, we'll get to the paragraph, and then we'll, a few points and we're done. Here's the stage, book of Esther. Esther is this beautiful young lady. We know she's beautiful because the Bible describes her that way. We know she's beautiful because uh, when the Jewish people were scattered after uh, the Babylonians had come in and ransacked Judah, the, the kingdoms of Israel to the north, the kingdoms of Judah in the south, totally dismantled, all right? The center of, of, of Jewish life had been totally shredded by all of these enemies that had come in. And they, the Jewish people had been spread all over the empire. So when we come to Esther, about 500 years before Jesus, you have the Persians who control the entire known world at the time. And so here she is in the capital city of, of Persia, which is now Iran. And she um, is this beautiful woman, and the king is looking for a beautiful queen because he's banished, he's done away with the current queen. So in essence, he kind of, <laughs> this sounds bad on Mother's Day to say this, but he, he kind of holds a tryout for a new queen. That's what he does. And she is so attractive that the king selects her 
to be your new queen. So she enters into the palace. She doesn't tell the king, as far as we know, that she's Jewish. She simply has a platform now. She's on the inside of this palace. But here's the problem. The king has an advisor named Haman. And Haman was horribly wicked. And Haman, uh, one day, goes by a man named Mordecai. Mordecai was a a Jewish man who had some sort of influence because we always see him in front of the city gates. He has some sort of of stature to him. And one day when Haman is walking by the city gates, he asks everyone to bow down and Mordecai doesn't do it. And because Haman finds out Mordecai is a Jew, here's what he decides to do. He sets his sights on wiping out the Jewish people uh, throughout the entire empire. And it's an awful, awful thing when Mordecai hears this and he begins to to weep and he begins to fast and he begins to to cry out because the Jewish people are going to be exterminated. But here's the thing. Mordecai is the uncle of Queen Esther. She was an orphan. She was raised by Mordecai. So Mordecai sends word to Esther. You have to do something. You have a platform here. You have to help. And Esther responds to Mordecai, I can't. There's too much risk involved. There's no way. And so when Mordecai hears that Esther has said, I'm paralyzed. I I can't do anything. Notice what his response is in Esther chapter 4. Here's the central paragraph, I believe, to the entire book. All right. Verse 13. Let's read all the way through verse 17 this morning. Then Mordecai said to them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any of the other Jews. For Esther, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Okay. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, the capital, and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, and though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. What an incredible story. Thought number one this morning coming right right out of our text is this, that God positions people and God positions you right where you are for the next step of innovative faith. Here, here's what you might be thinking as we, we'll leave it up on the screen for you to write it down for those of you who are taking notes. Here's what you might be thinking in my circumstance where I am now there is no way God is at work but he is. I want you to think about Esther here for just a second. She doesn't say that she's a Jewish person. She doesn't say that she's some spiritual champion for God at all. It's relatively quiet about who this woman is. But God continually 
positions you where you are and he continually orchestrates behind the scenes. This is the story of Esther. Behind the scenes he is working, behind the scenes he is orchestrating and designing things for you to be put into a position that when God leads, you act out in faith. Now it's hard for some of you to see where you are because you're covered, you're burdened, you're weighed down. The news to Esther was so great that there was hardly anything that she could think about doing except if I go to the king, then I'm going to die. There's nothing else I can do. Some of you perhaps think that is where you are, but let me assure you, just read Hebrews 11. All of these, all of these incredible people of faith. Th think of the early church. Think of the early church and the persecution of the early church. Think of how, God, how they responded to steps of faith and, and they created new ways to minister and new ways of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Wherever you are, do not lose hope this morning. God is still working and perhaps when the circumstances are most dire, that is when God is about ready to say to you, are you ready? to step out in faith. You might not think that. Irma Bombat, the, uh, the great writer, said this about motherhood. She said, um, when the kids get wild and unruly, I build a playpen, and when they're done, I get out of the playpen. <laughs> that's how we often think, right? But that's our mindset. Where I am now is the playpen, and when everything's done out there, then I'll get out. But the story of Esther is no. God is putting all of these things together and he's looking for someone to say, okay, I'll step out. Here's the second thing this morning, though. You've got to think about when it comes to innovative faith. It's this, that reaching and transforming people is at the heart of innovative faith. We don't change environments. We don't change Methods, we don't change communities and groups. We don't change things for change's sake. We change things at the church. We change things in your home, you should, in order to see people transformed, in order to see people changed. And at the heart of the story of Esther is this fact that the Jewish people were going to be exterminated. Over in um, chapter 3, just right above chapter 4, if you have your Bible, look at it. Over in, in chapter 3, I want you to understand just how dire this is. Haman says this, send letters. Send letters to the couriers, or letters rather were sent by couriers to all of the king's provinces with this instruction. How do you like this? Destroy, kill, annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children in one day. He picked out a day in one day and then on top of that plunder everything that they had. Here's what one writer said. We don't fully understand just how vast and how evil this plot was. I mean, we think of Hitler, right? Trying to exterminate the, the Jewish people. But back then, the Jewish people had spread all over the known world. Here was an effort to wipe out an entire race, when, when we were in Israel, 
I'll never forget walking into the Holocaust Museum that's over there. Some of you have been to the Holocaust Museum here in uh, Washington, D.C. But I'll never forget walking in, and the minute you're there, you feel the weight, you feel the, the, the darkness, you feel the, the urgency of saying, who will save these people? Who will do something? Who, who will stand up? Who will change an old way of thinking Governments, presidents, leaders, do something. And so it is in the church. The heart of God is for people. And the heart of God is for his people to put themselves in a position where they're ready to step out in faith to reach other people. So we look at these parents as they minister and love and disciple their children we look at those God has given us into our care here I look at you the sheep of this flock and asking what is it that God is going to ask you to do the potential to reach people it's enormous but if we get caught up in change for change's sake we've lost sight of the heart of God for people. Here's the third thing this morning. Let's continue. Innovative faith stands at a crossroads. Innovative faith chooses between the fear that holds us back and the faith that steps out. Here's where, um, here's where Esther, when she sends a response to Mordecai, here's what she told him. Esther 3, verses 10 through 12. Here's what she says. Listen, Mordecai, here's the deal. The king, you cannot presume upon the king. You cannot enter into his presence without being asked. And if you do, and the king doesn't like it, you die. Because you're presuming upon his honor and and his dignity and his glory and his power. You're, You're presuming upon him. So, Mordecai, what you're asking me to do is against the law. I'm going to get killed. And besides that, Mordecai, understand this. He hasn't asked me into his presence for 30 days. So I have no chance here. I'm frozen with fear. I'm paralyzed with fear. And and, and innovative faith, here's where it comes to us. And it says you, you have a couple of choices. You can either fear and be paralyzed. And what happens when we're afraid of change or when we're afraid of stepping out or when we're afraid of fixing things or whatever it might be, whatever God calls us to do, maybe, maybe to finish something, all right? What he's asking us to do really is to step away from our comfort or from our convenience. He's asking us to step away from ourselves being the center of our lives And on the other hand, he's asking us, he's saying, step out. And when we step out, here's what we're doing. We're actually stepping towards him. And this is where there's faith. You're stepping towards the king. But you're being called and asked by him to do something that will change the lives of those around you. And it's easy to get caught up in our lives and in ourselves, in our church life, in our home life. And here's our number one concern, our comfort, our convenience, our, our, our working things out smoothly versus a step of faith, which is much more difficult. And this is why thought number four this morning, 
we need to continually pursue God. Innovative faith is ignited and guided as we pursue God. Innovative faith just doesn't come out of good ideas. Innovative faith just doesn't come out of mimicking or modeling what other people are doing. Innovative faith doesn't come from simply data. Innovative faith comes from the leadership of the Holy Spirit as we pursue God. Notice what Esther says. Mordecai, okay? Go. Go, go, go round up everyone in Susa and do what? Pray. Fast. Fasting, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with that, is simply where, where followers of, of God um, abstain from food, and they did it three days and three nights. You abstain from food or you abstain from water. You, you abstain from, from something in order to pursue the mind and the heart of God. You're looking to him. You're seeking him. And here's what it does. As you get hungry, all right, you're going to eat in just a few minutes, so you're okay. Uh, but as you get hungry in the fast, here's what you're shifting. You're shifting away from from fear to faith. You're shifting away from your, your own independence and you're beginning to move towards dependency upon the Holy Spirit. And so as we pursue God together, as we, as we seek the Holy Spirit, we simply ask for his leadership. Leadership, Holy Spirit, may we be submissive to you in order to do what? To step out and create any new environment or new method or community, whatever it might be. As we use whatever platform you give us here in this community, as you give us whatever platform beyond to the ends of the earth, whatever it is, Father, we do it for the sake of people. Aren't you glad that when Esther went to the king, God in his graciousness gave her great favor? And the king came to her house. She prepared a meal, a banquet for the king, and she exposed this plot. And through the prayers of God's people and through the favor and grace of God, the plot was revealed and Haman was hung and the Jews lived on and the Jews lived on to give to us the incredible gift of Jesus. And Jesus is our example. As we close, Jesus is our example of innovative faith. The one who came before his father submitted to his wrath and his anger Jesus comes and he submitted to the wrath and anger of the father your sin placed on him and he's crucified and he's raised again for your forgiveness and for your new life if you only respond to him so Jesus is a type of Esther where we see her humbly going before God on our behalf, so it is with Jesus, for some of you who have never, ever connected to God. Maybe today is the day where those seeds are planted. And for all of us, as we see Christ, may we emulate him, may we imitate him in stepping out in great faith. Will you pray with me right now? Father, we love you. It has been a good day where we have witnessed the physical birth, the physical lives of incredible families and just beautiful sons and daughters. But Father, will you grow the body of Christ through this value? Will you build tailors through this, this value so that we know Christ, we love him, we reflect him, 
and we make disciples. We see more people transformed into Christ-likeness. So may it be, Father. Would you work on the hearts of those who do not know Christ? And they're here. They're in the other room. And we love them. Because you love them. Would you stir in them a desire to know this Jesus and his good news? And we commit them to you as well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.